0: Last week we kicked it off very briefly, a little bit of a preview of what we're studying about, and then we watched the movie Invisible Children. How many of you guys have seen that movie? Most people? All right, good. We're going to show the trailer tonight, but I think most of you have seen it, so we don't need to do that. The movie, in sum, is about the plight of orphan children in Africa, basically as a result of the war and the genocide that's going on in Sudan who are basically stranded in Uganda, and we watched that last week. It was pretty moving. It touched a number of people. But the reason we started with that movie is because I want to make a pitch to you. I want to kind of highlight what we saw about the movie. I want to spend four or five weeks talking about the subject of money in the kingdom of God, and then I want to come back to poverty. But I don't think that we as Christians have a right to talk about poverty until we first learn how to deal with our own money. Okay? And that's why we're doing this series, because the church, for a long time you'll see through my talk tonight, and the case I'm making to you, spends most of its time talking about 10% of your money, the amount that they want you to give, but they don't teach us what to do with the other 90%, and I want to make a case tonight that that 90%, that 100% belongs to God, and we're going to learn how to better use our money, because we live in such an affluent nation. And for us to watch videos about other countries and pretend like we're going to do something to help, really we should first start internally by getting our own house in order so we have more resources to help with. All right? If you give me four or five weeks, I promise you you'll come out completely changed in your view of money. You guys know that Exodus was built from the ground up so that we hit these topics harder than any other place. That's my goal. We're going to hit some myths. We're going to hit you guys in places where you're not going to feel comfortable. This is not a five-week giving seminar, by the way. Giving will be like maybe an eighth of what we talk about. It's much deeper than that. And I know it's going to bother some of us to talk about it. It's already bothered me. (laughs) Because there's some myths that I want to live with that I just would like to have them for myself. Tonight, you'll see why. Money. Let's go to the next slide. First of all, you guys know that we like to survey what's going on in the Christian world so that we're not living in a bubble here in San Dimas. Here's what's going on in the Christian world. This week... Big news that we're not the only people thinking about Africa, so is everybody else. Here is Rick Warren. Anybody know who Rick Warren is? That guy over there. Who's Rick Warren? He's the only white guy in the picture. Right, okay. Who's Rick Warren? Purpose Driven Life. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He's made so much money off The Purpose Driven Life. It was on the bestseller list for who knows how many years. It's like Walmart's top selling book, I think, or something like that. And he is giving away a lot of the money he's making. In fact, I read about Rick Warren. He started a church, Saddleback Community Church, huge church in Orange County. He repaid his salary for the last 25 years. He repaid it back to the church. And now they live on what they call a reverse tithe, where they give away 90% of their money and live on 10. Because he believes so strongly that the money has to be used for good purposes. Here's his latest challenge. He is in Rwanda with his wife trying to figure out a way to solve the poverty problem in Africa, so our group is not alone. Other people are doing it. You guys also know My Hero, Bono, and View2 has also started L1.org with a whole bunch of other people, and they are struggling to find ways. They did those concerts we talked about, and now they're still working with world leaders to try to solve African debt relief problems. So work is going on. here. We're having a meeting with Bono and African leaders and the reason this is going on is because last week a very important point was brought up when we talked about world events and African debt relief. Here is the statistics I want to just read to you from this article. The problem with debt relief is this. If you look at the number of people, last week somebody said, what is the problem with the aid? Why is not getting it through? Do you know, here's the number, in the last 50 years in Africa, one trillion dollars in foreign aid has been poured into Africa. All right, $1 trillion, which, by the way, I mean, this is, they estimate that the, if you divide that up by the number of people that are living, you could have just had these people on salaries for this amount of time, okay? A trillion dollars is what's been poured into Africa, and it's making zero impact. Why? Well, this article talks about the corruption that needs to be solved before we deal with greater aid. Okay, so the problem is not simply a bunch of Christians getting around the circle and lighting candles and raising money and sending it to Africa. Bono himself discovered with Bob Geldof when they did Live Aid all the way back in 85 where they raised so much money they bought trucks and airplanes and sent food to Ethiopia and it made very little impact because the warlords took over everything, sold it for guns and strengthened themselves and the people still starved. The corruption in Africa is so high that they estimate for every $1 in medical aid that's sent to Africa, you have to spend one dollar to bribe the officials to get it through to the people. So you guys asked a very poignant question last week. It's on the minds of some world great leaders as well, so you're not alone in thinking about it. This is not just a matter of raising money. We have to solve bigger problems of sin before we can just throw money at the problem. All right, next slide. Why are we gonna study money? Here are some reasons that I've put up on the board. Because you guys know that we spend a lot of time on these series. And if we're going to spend this much of God's time on a Sunday night studying a subject like money, there better be a good reason for it. Here's some on the board. Money is a great litmus test. If you want to know the true spiritual nature of your heart, you want to know where your heart really is, money is the answer. Jesus said the same thing almost verbatim. You want to find out where your heart is? Look at where you're spending your money. We spend so much of our lives chasing money. Jesus was concerned about money. 16 of the 38 parables that he spoke about were about money. If the Lord came down here today to teach you and said, I've got like, very important things to tell you, 38 things I want you to know and 16 of them are about money, you would understand that money is very high on his priority list. It would probably be the first lesson he taught us. Here's one I didn't know. The Bible contains 2,350 verses on money. It only contains 500 verses on prayer and 500 verses on faith. If you think about it, it's like you're almost saying, God, you want me to know more about money than you want me to know about faith and salvation? Well, if you just look at how much he was trying to get the message through us, maybe the answer is, yeah, I want you to know about salvation for sure. But money is very high up on the list of things I want you to know about. I used a lot of words to tell you about money. It's complex, Money is a multidimensional issue. Money is not just the rich man who has to give away the money. Money is not just the camel in the eye of the needle thing. Every time Jesus talks about money, there's like a contrasting verse that shows us that it's a three-dimensional issue or a multidimensional issue. We can't just look at it in terms. Last week, we talked about the parable of investing in the kingdom and showing how money was good, and at the same time talking about how money is the root of all evil and, and man cannot serve both God and money. There's, there's a tension, because it's an important topic. I already said that we spend so much of our time talking about 10% of money. If you've ever heard of a talk on money in the church, it's usually about how much you should give. It always starts off like this. We don't want you to feel like we're trying to make you give, right? We don't want you to feel like we're just a church that's after your money, but we're going to spend the next hour talking about how we can get that 10% out of you, all right? <laughs> It's a very delicate topic because churches need to teach the congregation their obligations to give, which we'll do a little bit of, you know. I mean, if pastors are going to be pastors, they have to tell you the truth that part of a healthy Christian life is to give. But What about the other 90% of your money? We don't spend a lot of time telling you whether you should make a lot, make a little, Live on a lot, live on a little. We don't do very well in that area because that's the area that most of us as Christians feel like, hey, that's my area, stay out of it. Don't enter my area. God, I'll give you 10%, but don't touch the other 90 That's mine. I get to spend it on what I want. Next slide. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to try to consider what a lifelong commitment to proper understanding of money might be like. Last week, and when we did our Friday night get-together, you guys watched Invisible Children. It moved a lot of you, and just spontaneously, people are up and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a fundraiser, and we're going to raise money like they tell us to in the video so that we can raise money for Africa and send money to the Invisible Children Foundation and help them reach their goal of $20 bucks. And That's a great goal. That's admirable. Look at what might happen if we did that, for example. Consider... If we had a fundraiser and we brought 400 people, now the back of the room says this place will hold 430. All right, we could throw the chairs out and make them stand. But let's just say we had 400 people and kind of packed this place. And let's say we reached into everybody's greedy little pocket and made them give up 25 bucks. Okay, that would be a good average. That would be actually pretty high. (laughs) All right. You would end up with 10,000 bucks that we would have raised. That's a good number, isn't it? I mean the the video gave us the number of somebody raised 4000 they're really excited about that like what if we could raise 10000 bucks if we were able to get 100 bucks out of people that'd be 40000 bucks that'd be huge except that if you consider that a trillion dollars has already been raised and that didn't make much of an impact so that aside we'll deal with, you know we're not going to deal with corruption here <laughs> it's going to be hard for us to deal with african leader corruption in this group but consider this what if this was the answer What if 20 people, which is roughly the number of people that we have on any given Sunday night, learned through what we're gonna do over the next five weeks how to make a lifelong commitment to saving 100 bucks a month and dedicating it to whatever charity you wanted, including African debt relief or African poverty or medical needs of HIV kids in Africa. If you made that commitment and you learned how to do it, which is totally possible by the way, and you did it for the 40 years of your productive work life, this is how much money we would end up raising as a group. Not like a small one-time flash in the pan, like, hey, that's a great idea. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. Because people need to be moved to do things, and God moves people to do things at certain times. But imagine if you made a commitment for your whole life. If you invested that money at 7%, you'd have over $5 million going to Africa. Or whatever it is that you feel God calls you to put your money towards. If that money is at 10%, by the way, which is closer to what the long-term rates are for investments over 30 or 40 years, that number jumps up to like $12 billion, almost $13 million that you could do. And that's just asking people over their lifetime, just 20 people, the people in this room, to learn how to reorganize our lives to give 100 bucks a month, which is what, $2 a day or something like that, two something, three something a day. That's why I think the topic of money is so important. By the way, this this idea about investing your money and multiplying is not my idea. That's what the parable of the talents was that we read last week, where Jesus comes back at the end and says, I want to make a count with you. What did you do with what I gave you? You had a good career. You went to college. You did something good. You had a nice family. You had a nice house. It's all great. What did you do with what I gave you? How did you invest it? The one guy who took the talents, the money, the five talents, and doubled them, he ended up being the good and faithful servant. He ended up with his master approving of what he had done. Imagine if you invested it this way. When Jesus comes back, he says, what did you do with that $100 every month? You go, master, I made $12 million and I gave it all away. I think that would be, hey, good job. Good and faithful servant. All right. Next slide. Here is what's really going on with Christians and money. Church giving's down everywhere. Churches are struggling to find the people who are used to give like they used to, they're not around, we had a 19% drop in giving in just one year alone between 99 and 2000. I'm not sure why that is. I was trying to figure that out. Maybe it was because we were scaring everybody so much with the year 2000 thing, like the end of the world was coming, and then when they saw that the churches were all bogus about that, they go, uh, I'm not giving any more. Jesus ain't coming back for a long time. I better keep my money. All right? One third, one third, 33% of born-again Christians claim that they tithe, but actually... When they did a real audit of people's houses, it turned out it was only 12%, 1 in 8. Actually tithe. Most Christians these days, it looks like the average is about 5 to 6%. It's not bad. Younger adults, that's us, are even less likely to give money. There's no statistics on them. 23% of Christians surveyed give nothing to the church, just nothing. Zero. Look at this statistic. If every Christian in America tithed their income, one half of that amount, just one half of the tithe, would be enough to wipe out poverty and medical bills around the world. Just 5%. They could cure poverty around the world and all the medical needs of everybody in the entire world, and they could use the other 5% for all the evangelism and things that they felt called to do. The average Christian gives about $25 a year to missions or third world relief. Now, people give a lot to churches, but a lot is more like 600 bucks not that much more. That's like the average. But $25 of that goes to missions or third world relief. Next slide. So what are we going to cover and how are we going to do it? I hope I've at least built a little bit of a case that we are going to cover something important. Here are the topics. Next week, we are covering debt and budgeting. Every one of us, I would almost guarantee I'd place my money on it, is in debt in one way or another. All right? I know, student loans, I know. But next week, I want you to bring your credit card receipts with you, will you? <laughs> Everybody bring their credit card statement for the last three or four months. We're just going to analyze what you guys have been spending on. We'll we could turn them in anonymously. We'll just read out loud. Maybe I'll bring mine. Debt. We're going to talk about it because before we talk about money in any way, we've got to talk about debt because it's what weighs us down from being truly free to co- follow God's call for us. We're also going to talk about budgeting all right? I might even bring a calculator. It'd be the only college group on the planet where you have to bring a calculator, but we might bring one next week. We're going to cover savings and investment. We are actually going to show you how you can start to save for whatever it is you want. Maybe it's to give later, but how you are called biblical. And by the way, this is not like a big like Tony Robbins seminar on how to get rich. This is all coming out of the scriptures, all right? We're going to be reading scripture, okay? We're gonna talk about investment. We already know the parable of the talent is all about investment. We're gonna be looking a little deeply about how you can invest. I'm not gonna make recommendations, but I'm gonna show you how it is you actually invest. Week after that, we're gonna be covering giving and making money. They go hand in hand. Some of us, unfortunately, are on the sidelines of making money. We feel like, hey, I'm cool, I'm okay. I'm making enough, I'm doing okay, I don't need to make any more. I want to challenge you on that and see, are you making enough money for the kingdom? Would God be happy with how much you invested his money when he comes back? Some of us are called to full-time missionary work, full-time ministry, and full-time support. Maybe that's not going to be you. you know, you're going to be in one of the other camps. Maybe you're called to be supported. Others of us are called to support. Even if you look at the Acts church, while Paul's cruising around on that ship, moving around, traveling around, being his missionary journeys, there was a whole group of people called to do nothing but support him and send him money and pray for him. We've got to figure out which side of the camp we're in. Because a lot of us are in neither camp. And yes, we will talk about giving. Week after that, we'll finally talk about materialism and poverty. As we start to look at the poverty situation around the world, We have to look at our own situation first because it is a little bit hypocritical for us to say that we can help cure the world's problems we have some of our own materialism is just as much of an evil as poverty is because it's one of the causes of poverty our consumption in the west is probably one of the reasons that there is so much problems in other parts of the world we need to deal with that as one factor okay Materialism is also a spiritual depression that invades our life. We are less spiritual the more material we are in terms of goods and things that we have. Okay? I know we're not going to sell all our possessions and go drink Kool-Aid in the mountains. We're not doing that yet. Right? But I want you guys to consider what the impact of materialism is on our spiritual condition. I think more of us would be moved if we knew what was going on in other parts of the world and if we were free from our own materialism to do something about it. Okay? This is where we are tonight. I want to show you when I said earlier that money is a litmus test regarding the true condition of our souls. I want to actually look at some scripture tonight so we're not just kind of throwing out my ideas but we can actually hear the word of God. Let's look. take a look at Luke 19 if you have a Bible with you. These topics are never one-dimensional. Like I said, they're multidimensional. Jesus is just finished with the rich young ruler a few verses ago. If you look at the rich young ruler, it takes place in Luke 18, 18 through 30. Who remembers the story of the rich young ruler? We, We always teach this one on money, right? The guy says, Master, how can I inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the guy, what does he do? He can't do it, right? And we always use that one in church because it's really easy. Everybody sits there and thinks, "Oh man, I am so much trouble. I would never sell everything I had and follow Jesus. Like I'm just, I'm like the rich young ruler." Yeah, a lot of us are. That song that we sang tonight, "You Are My Portion," is exactly like trying to become like a better person than a rich young ruler, saying to God, "Like you know, I want to be, I want to have you as my portion. I want you as my reward. I want you as what I get out of this life." And I won't wear the garments of princes. I won't sit at the table of kings. All right, but our secret fear inside when we hear that story is, if he had said to me, "Go and sell everything," and looked straight at me, I would have been bummed. I don't know that I could have done it. But here, contrast it with this. Here's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming from that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately, I must stay with your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur, He is gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything I will pay back four times the amount. It's a radical change on the part of Zacchaeus who says, Today, Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anyone out of anything I will repay it back four times. Notice Jesus never asked him to do that wasn't like the rich young ruler he says, I want you to give everything. Why did he say that to the rich young ruler, by the way? He wanted to show them that he wasn't really keeping the first commandment, that he loved his money. Yeah, yeah the rich young ruler's God was really money. It was almost kind of an irony that it was approaching Jesus, asking him how he could achieve eternal life, because it seemed like he was already living the life he wanted to live on this earth. And money was his God. Notice, though, with Zacchaeus, it's a little different. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, by the way, Zacchaeus, you're a sinner, you're a tax collector, give away everything you have. Zacchaeus, knowing, maybe maybe Zacchaeus heard the rich young ruler and thought, oh, my God, he's going to ask me to give away everything. I better voluntarily give half, you know, before the guy asks me to give all of it. You know, like, I'll just kind of, like, jump in there early and I could save some of it. No, that's not it. In this story, Zacchaeus, his heart has changed. Listen to what Jesus says to him in response. He looks at him and says, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Is it possible that Jesus was giving Zacchaeus salvation because he gave away half his money? Is that the way that we get salvation through Christ? Why does Jesus say today salvation has come to this house, Ben? Because it's a demonstration of his faith. Yeah, this is the litmus test we're looking for. I mean, you can tell that Zacchaeus' heart has been so changed that the expression of that change comes when he says, I'm giving away my money. His heart has changed so much that he stands up and makes this declaration and the Lord identifies it for what it is your heart has truly changed. Salvation has come to this house. Not because of the money, but because what we do with our money tells us where our heart is, where our soul is. Zacchaeus is like, I'm not living that old life anymore. I'm done. I'm giving it away. And Jesus recognized it and accepts that gift. The reason I'm showing these comparing and contrasting scriptures is because it's not an easy topic, but I want to demonstrate it through scripture. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 2. Just to see how this topic can never be one-dimensional for us. Anyone have that scripture in front of them, right here? 1 Timothy six nine through ten. You want to read it? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here Timothy is saying to us straight out. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. Money is the root of all evil. How many people have heard that sermon before? You know? We sit here and we hear that sermon and we think, gosh, you know what? I must totally be a sinner because I feel like I need to make money or I want to make money. Or I would love to be rich. I must be a sinner. Well, that's possible because it depends, on again, on the condition of your heart. But just so that we look at the context so clearly how This matter is complex. Just a few paragraphs down or a few verses down in Timothy, looking at these verses, 17 through 19, read these words. It says this, command those who are rich. Look at that. I mean, he just said to somebody a few verses ago, like, don't pursue being rich. And then he turns around and says, but for those who are rich. He doesn't say, command those who are rich to give away every cent so they can go back to being like the people we just read about a few verses ago. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if you've heard the sermon that says, don't be rich, or you've heard the rich young ruler sermon, consider Paul instructing Timothy and saying, but for those who are rich, command them to be rich in good deeds. There is a role for the rich man in the kingdom, but it's the pursuit of riches that's different here than somebody who happens to be rich. If it all comes down to what is your motive? Is, are you seeking money as your idol? Is it, is it the thing that makes you feel good about yourself? Or is it for the kingdom of We have a capitalist among us. All right, that's good. That's the reason I think this topic stretches out, and we need to spend some time on it. When we come out of it at the other end, what I'm hoping we do is learn how to use the steps that we outlined tonight about debt about budgeting, about savings and investment, about giving and making money and putting all those things together and kind of contrasting them. Learning how to live a life where we have money, we can make money, but we can give and use money the way that Christ tells us to. So that at the end of the age, we give account. You know, one of the most compelling things that we did in this group, at least for me and my own education, was when we went through that series on heaven. And if you guys ever want to catch up with us, you guys know it's on CD, you can pick it up. But One of the great things about that series for me was I had so many misconceptions about what heaven was like. I had so many ideas about heaven just being a place where you just sing forever and that's all you do and it was just such a boring, boring kind of image. And I'm glad that we got through that and learned about what our life would be like in heaven. But one of the aspects that surprised me the most was about God's system of rewards in heaven. And we struggled with that as a group because a lot of us wanted an equal heaven a lot of us wanted a heaven that was just purely on par where everybody walks in and as long as you somehow skated through and got salvation, like everybody was the same. And I wanted to believe that so much because that was kind of the heaven I liked. No matter what I did, as long as I found Jesus, everybody was cool and equal. Kind of like a communist heaven without all the killing of people or whatever. Okay. (laughs) But what I wanted was to feel like there wasn't that kind of economy and yet As we study money, we are going to go back to that topic of rewards in heaven because it's the fundamental underpinning of what we're studying here. Jesus comes right out and says, I will come back and my reward is with me for you. Paul's writings tell us in no uncertain terms that there is a reward in heaven and that we are not going to be rewarded equally. So when Jesus begins to say that store up treasure in heaven and we read those verses in the coming days, some of you are going to wrestle with that a little bit. But I want to just point out to you, first of all, that it took me some wrestling and some fighting. And if you want to go through that process, you can. You can listen to those CDs and come out in the same place, maybe. But there is an economy going on between our life now here on earth and our life where it's going. And that economy is going to be that we have a currency here on earth and we have a currency in heaven. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I'm still figuring it out. But Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that you don't want to store up your treasure on earth where rust and moth destroy you. You want to store it up in heaven. You want to put it in that bank account, not in this one. And then it will last forever, and you'll receive your reward. That's going to be a difficult component that I think some of us have to struggle through because maybe we grew up like, you, like, like I grew up, thinking that everybody was cool and equal and it was all good. Maybe you grew up thinking all well, we're going to do is sing all the time like I did too, <laughs> and then you'll maybe really need to listen to the CDs. I think the topics we're going to cover, and the reason I'm going to challenge you to sit through this topic for four or five weeks is because God does put us in situations where he asks us to do something. Okay? The worst thing possible is for us to be in a situation where we say, God, I can't because I spent all the money. Some of us are not the rich young ruler where we have a huge amount of money where the question is do we give it away or do we not? For us, the question is, like, I make this much and I spend this much. Actually, the average American spends 5% more than they make. All right, but let's just assume you spend everything you make and then God says Ryan, buddy, listen I'm putting on your heart right now that I need you to do this for this person and I want you to help him out your first answer, unfortunately like most Americans is going to be, Lord I don't have that kind of money now I'm not saying that you do like the rich young ruler, what I'm going to challenge you to do and I I think it's biblical if I challenge you in this way to say, why don't you have that kind of money I don't know that it's because you have to go make more it may be because you have to spend less it's an uncomfortable subject but that's what this group is about it seems like is to is to just keep going through one uncomfortable subject after another so we can truly get out of them rather than just do the fluff and that's an uncomfortable subject to say to somebody in church like hey you know what i'd like you i'd like you to give a little bit more and like but i'm strapped and i'm this and i'm that it's like is that a new car you're driving you know, and I'm not saying that's true for everybody, whatever the circumstances. For some people, it is that they need to make more. For some people, it's the thing to get out of debt. For other people, it's that they le- need to learn how to budget. For some people, they've never invested. Every one of these topics might touch one person in a different way. You brought up the example of the widow who gave the two pennies or the two whatever it is. You know, I notice in that parable something that's very peculiar, that in that parable or in that, in that s- story, Jesus goes and he sits where he can see who's giving money. It doesn't say that he was, like, passing by and happened to look over. The story actually says that he went and sat down where he could see who was giving money. That, to me, says Jesus cares. I mean, he was actually interested in how much are people giving. I just want to watch for a moment, see what people are doing. You know? And he saw the one guy who was, like, making the big deal out of it and whatever, and he saw the one person who came in and looked around and said nothing and gave it. Right? But he was watching. That to me is part of the story that goes unnoticed and unspoken in the church. That, you know, we're a little uncomfortable with Jesus, like looking over our shoulder when we write the check in the church, going, hey, how much are you giving, man? But Jesus actually did that. Other comments? For me, money isn't really something I hang on to a lot. And so when someone takes my money or I'm not reimbursed correctly or I'm ripped off, it's like, go oh, out. Well, it's a buck, it's $10. It's so much money, I'm not really going to care about it because it's gone in that time. But when it comes to giving to God, and God's like, okay, you don't care about money, why don't you give, give me 20 bucks a week? Why don't you give me, I'm like, oh, where's it going? I don't want to give you any money. And it, it, it was shocking like, this morning. How much am I supposed to give? What am I really doing? And, and it just dawned on me that. A lot of times people will look at it and say, I don't, I don't want to give to God. I don't want to give to the church because I don't know where it's going. I don't want to give to God because I don't have control over it. You said control. I like control. You guys know the old adage about the minister who used to take the collection plate and walk around and get all the money. And then after the service was done, he would walk outside to God and go, God, this is your money. It's all yours. You take as much of it as you want. And you would throw it up. And then whatever came down, he goes, that's mine. Right? And that was a control issue. Because we somehow think, like, God's up there. What does he even need money for? I know what to do with my money. In fact, I even want to know who to give it to, what organizations, what are they using it for, how much administrative fees are they using. It's like, well, you know what? God just wants you to give this year, and maybe we're just going to have to learn as Christians to give without, this is controversial, to give without getting a tax break, just because God told us to give. Here's what God's part is in money. He owns it. He controls it. He provides for us. What we need to remember is that God owns everything. This is what we mess up when we think, hey, how much should I give of my money? It's not your money. What should I do with my possessions? They're not your possessions. The verse is, all the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it belongs to Him. That's the verse. Everything. First Colossians, when you read about Christ being the firstborn, says, in Him all things hold together. He literally holds the whole universe together everything that belongs to Him. We're fooling ourselves if we think it belongs to us. And how many times does Jehovah Jireh come up in the Old Testament? He is the provider. That's why we sang, You are my portion tonight, because I want us to shift that gear of understanding that when Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field, consider the birds of the air, what He was trying to say to us was, You don't provide, I provide. Those are His part of the equation. He owns it all. He controls it all for His purposes. And he'll provide for us. Our part is just to be faithful. And we're going to be looking at these as we go through. Faithful with all our resources, all of them, not just some of them. Hey, I'll be good with the 10% I'm supposed to give the church, but I'm going to go spend like crazy there 90% because that's mine. That contradicts the first rule. It's not yours, it's his. Faithful regardless of how much we have. Some of us say, well, I don't have that much, so what should I do? It's like, you know what? God wants us to be faithful, and that means invest, be debt-free, all those things no matter how much we have. Faithful in small things so he'll set you over great things is what the Bible says. Faithful with the possessions of others. I like this one. Like, Are we faithful with the possessions of others, like even our employer's possessions? Are we the kind who just go, hey, it's not mine, who cares, I'll just waste it. Are we careful stewards no matter what we're doing? Are we faithful enough to be content with what we have? Hey, look, (laughs) I fail half of these. I fail a lot of these. I'm not trying to put them on you and say, this is what you need to do, this is what we need to do become faithful understand. Because my biggest wrestling, hey, I'm good at giving. My biggest wrestling is giving God ownership and control over my possessions. That's hard for me. I'm a collector. I don't mean like I'm a stamp collector. I mean I just like material things. And I buy them and I keep them. And they bums me out when they break. I want them to last forever. But that's ridiculous because we know it's all going to burn. Nothing lasts forever. It's all his. But I can't make that mental adjustment in my head. I can't do it. It's so hard to think like it's all yours. So as Andrew said, it is about control in a way. I want to be in control. And I'm kind of, I give kind of like almost to get him off my back. Like, I'm given, So leave the rest of it alone. I'm given like whatever percentage you need from me. And I'm really generous. I give to other people and other ministries even where there's no tax deduction. Look at me but don't dip into the other part of it because that's mine. And I'm challenging myself to go through this talk with you guys the same way because I could fund a small nation on what I spent on eBay. Maybe that's my sin. It lies in the materialism of me wanting to have every little convenience in life. And meanwhile, I'm showing you guys a movie about the invisible children that you guys brought to our attention. I'm thinking, hey, let's do something about that. I'm thinking, how about if I just first curb all the spending? And then we'll be able to really do something about it. So, that's my pitch. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you in a spirit of confession to lay before you everything in our lives. And that is a huge statement. And I'm not sure that any of us could really deliver on that right now. So, I'm going to ask your Holy Spirit to come into this room right now and become the true instructor of our talk on money. Lord, you take money so seriously that I'm reminded of the time in the Bible where the people sold the field and gave half of the money to the disciples. And when the disciples asked if it was all the money that they had earned, they said, yes, they lied, Lord, and your spirit struck them dead. I'm trying to wrestle and grapple with stories like that contrasted with how we can be a cheerful giver and give all that we have, even if it's only two cents. Lord, I'm trying to figure out how to avoid being a little rich young ruler and the possessions that you've given in this life. And that's why, Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit be the instructor. I just ask that we would be changed and transformed in ways that surprise us now. That we would look back after four or five weeks and really see that there has been true change because our hearts have changed. And that we would actually see our budgets changing as the litmus test for all our souls really are. And pray that you would help us walk through this difficult discussion. Lord, there's a serious problem in the world More than half the world lives on $2 a day, and half of those people are starving or dying. And if we care, then we need to get our house in order so that we're equipped when you call us to do something about it so we don't shrug our shoulders and just look at you and tell you that it's impossible for us to do something. You're asking us to do something now so that it will be possible for us to do something when we're called. Thank you, Lord, for each person here who's here tonight. Thank you for the time that they've laid aside to study your word and to deal with these topics. Pray these things in your name. Amen.